0: The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Uh, I'm going to start heavy, so uh, just bear with that. I got a phone call a month ago from a good friend in Colorado, and it was a heavy phone call. Um, he um, had been struggling with um, some things in his life, um, some ongoing sin. And uh, for a while, and it finally had caught up to him. Uh, He informed me that uh, he was going to lose his job because of it. Um, His marriage um, was in shambles. He had hurt other people um, around him. And uh, he was going to lose his position in the church. It was a heavy conversation. And... uh, You know, we talked about, why I had no idea he was struggling with this. We had been friends for a long time in Colorado, and and here um, these things come to me. And here's the thing, and we'll we'll get back to that. He's he's a guy that confessed Christ, a guy that uh, said, I believe in Jesus. And here he's struggling with this thing for so long. What now am I supposed to say to him? What was I to say to him in the midst of what he was dealing with? There's this issue in Christianity of this that uh, people say, well, you say you're justified by Christ, not by anything you do. He's the one that forgives you. There's nothing you do that can put you in a right relationship with God. If that's the case, why not just sin continuously? Why not just continue to sin? And here, that question came to me right there on the phone call with this, with this friend of mine. Now he's, he's been in this continual sin, this continual problem. And here, he wants some counsel from me. What am I now supposed to say? Am I supposed to veer from that message of grace and forgiveness that comes with Christ? And now tell him, get your junk together. Get your stuff together. You need to do this. You need to do that to get in shape. In fact, the message of grace is not what you need right now. Right now, you need a stick to beat you to get in the right place in life. Is that the message I'm supposed to say to him? Well, Paul is going to get to that exact thought today. What are we supposed to do with sin that continues in our life? How are we supposed to grow in our relationship with God, even in the midst of dealing with with ongoing sin. My argument to you today is this. The best motivation to conquer sin in your life is grace. The best motivation to conquer sin in your life is grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is not a light topic. We're talking about Struggles in our lives, ways that we still um, just sin against others. We sin against you. And there might be addictions in people's lives here this morning. God, I pray that uh, your spirit would bring those things to the surface. They would bubble to the surface. We would not lie about them. We would not hide them. But instead, we'd be able to bring them to you and to others and confess. Give us the strength through your spirit to do that. And I pray that your word would talk to us and speak to us, that it would just not go in one ear, just go into our head, but it would go into our hearts and transform us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, let's look at the passage. We're going to look on page 942 of those Red Bibles. Romans 6 is what we're looking at. Romans 6, 1 through 14, if you want to turn there. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but pre- present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The Word of the Lord. Sorry, it's something I say a lot, so I like to say it. You should say thanks be to God, so um, yeah. If you go to our church, I'll probably say that afterwards, but yes, this is God's Word. It is mighty, and uh, it will speak to us this morning. Here's what Paul has done in Romans. He has gone through these first five chapters talking about justification. That is a word that says, how do I come to a right relationship with God? And so he's talked about what it means to be identified with Jesus, how we are saved, all those kind of things through the first five chapters. He's, he's really brought that out. Now he's starting to make a transition, the transition from justification to sanctification. How do we grow in God? How do we grow in our faith? And again, this issue of sin is one issue that is brought up in our growth. How do we deal with sin even if we identify with Christ and we still sin, how, how do we deal with that? And so that is kind of what he is bringing out here. Now, um, some people would say, now this is time for the good stuff. Paul's going to tell us, he's told us, you know, what God has done, what Jesus has done. Now he's going to tell us what we are to do. He's going to give us some steps of what we are now to do as Christians. If I've learned anything from being in Wisconsin, growing up in Wisconsin, now being back, it's that we are a doer culture in northeastern Wisconsin. We like to do things. We like to work with our hands. We're going to get things done. This is a hard-working group of people in northeastern Wisconsin. So give me something to do, and I'll do it. If it has to deal with sin, so be it. If swearing is a problem in my house— Bring in the 25-cent jar, right? You know, every time you swear, you have to put 25 cents. Has anyone done that in-house? Yeah, maybe that's you. My mom needed that. Um, so 25-cent jar. Maybe it's, man, I'm dealing with um, laziness. Okay, proactive. I'm going to fast from TV for a week or for a month. That's proactive. That's what I got to do. Maybe it's, man, I'm putting on too much weight. I need a diet. So no sugar for a month. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do, and I'll do it. So I'm ready for Paul to tell me. If sin is an issue in my life, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And here is the frustration. Here, Paul is trying to get to that point, what we're supposed to do. Instead of spending the majority of time in this passage talking about what I'm supposed to do, he continues to talk about our identity with Christ. Now, here it is, and this is the objection that people have, and he is anticipating the objection that people have that are around him. Paul's gone through five chapters saying, you know, we're justified by Christ. We're not saved by anything we do, we're saved by what Christ has done for us. And then people are saying, well, if that's the case, I'll just keep on sinning. It doesn't matter what I do, I'll just, I'll just keep on doing what I want to do. And that's the objection. And this is how Paul answers it in his. Logical way. Paul answers questions by giving questions, okay? Uh, Which is always intriguing. Um, And here we can look in verse 2. He says, should we keep on sinning? By no means. How can we, the question, how can we who die to sin still live in it? How can we who die to sin still live in it? So that is Paul's answer to this objection. How can we, who have died to sin, still live in it? What does Paul mean? What does it mean that we're dead to sin? I'm going to answer this by saying what it's not first, okay? One interpretation is is we've died to sin. It means we've continued to put off the sin in our life. We're continuing to... To die slowly to sin. No, that is not what Paul's saying. In fact, the tense here it's used, it's it's a past action. It's done. It's over. We're dead no longer. It's no longer has any rain. It's over, dead. Not we're dying, continual process, past action, dead. Then the second wrong interpretation that people say is we no longer want to sin. We are dead to the desire in performing of sin. Well, verse 12 and 14 talk to that, well, to that idea. No, people still have a desire to sin even when they are in Christ. And if we just speak to our own experience, I think all of us would say, even if we have a relationship with Christ, we still have a desire to sin. So, what then is Paul saying when he says we are dead to sin? Paul is saying this, we are dead to the penalty of sin. That means eternal separation from God. And also, we are dead to the enslavement of sin. Here, Augustine put it in this Latin phrase. He says, non posse non pecare is what we are before Christ. That means we are not able not to sin. We are enslaved to sin. We can do nothing else. That's what Augustine said our life is before Christ. And then, when you come to know Christ, he said this Latin phrase, posse non peccare," which means we're able not to sin. So, before Christ, not able not to sin, meaning we're enslaved. Then, once we become Christians, we're now able not to sin. Not saying that we don't. Now, some of you, um, Latin analogies and illustrations probably won't work very well, so I'll use a different one. Um, I'll use a corn analogy. How's that sound? So I've got a piece of corn. Okay, here we go. Okay. So, our life is this ear of corn. Okay? And as you look at an ear of corn, after it's plucked from the stalk, it, what happens is it's still green, and it still has... This stuff on the outside, the husk, right? Is that one? Not a farmer, so there we go, the husk. And when it's cut off right away, it it still has that greenery. But over time, like now in November, um, what happens to a piece of corn? That husk starts dying, okay? Or it's basically becoming more brown. Now, our life, where we have um, basically life and uh, our identity, Um, is not the husk. The actual life is the inside, the corn. You know, these are the seeds. This is what can produce life or produce food. That's what's on the inside. The husk is not what the corn is, but we still see it on the outside. Now, if you pluck the piece of corn from the stalk, all this outside piece starts dying. It's been separated from its life source. And so it still has greenery, it still looks alive, it's still, we still see the outside, but over time what happens, it starts dying, it starts peeling off, so that we see what's truly on the inside. This is the same thing when it comes to sin. Yes, as Christians we still see sometimes that greenery, we still see the husk, but it has been cut from the life source It no longer has life. It is dying. So that slowly we can see what is true life. The inside. The seeds that can bring life. So we are dead to sin. To its life source. We are no longer identified to it. So what then is our identity? What are we then united to? Where is our life source? And here is what Paul's saying through three through ten. Our life source is from our unification with Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing when someone becomes a Christian, we think, okay, it's a mental ascent. But it's more than just a mental ascent. It is actually something is happening spiritually. We are unified with Jesus Christ. And in this unification, we are identified in his death, his death to sin, and his life, his resurrection, the power to fight against sin. So it's not just a mental ascent. It's also a unification spiritually with Jesus Christ, which is given to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, the argument I made before was this, that the best motivation To deal with ongoing sin in our life is grace. Now this power that we have that comes through being unified with Christ, that power doesn't come through something that we do. We were not the ones that died to sin. We were not the ones that resurrected from the dead. Christ was the one that did those things. So we are identified with him and what he has done, not what we have done. And because we identify with him, we then identify with his power and ability to die to sin and to be alive. This is what some people might say. This minimizes sin. When you say it's nothing that we do, but it's something that Christ does, something his power to do then you are minimizing sin and what it can still do. Uh, Here's my argument. The argument is this. that people will say the Christian life minimizes sin uh, because you continue to say, oh, I can keep on sinning and God will forgive me. No, in fact, what Paul is saying is this. It doesn't minimize sin, but it elevates the power of sin. In fact, the only way to fight sin... The only way that sin can be removed in life is by what God has done, not what we can do. That is the only way that sin can be dealt with. When it's dealt with our own power, that's when we minimize sin. When we say only God can work on it and root it out in our own life, then we are seeing the full power of sin. It's enslavement. It's ability to just control us. But when Christ comes in, that control has been taken away. Do you believe that, though? Do you believe sin can have the power to enslave? Then, in fact, no rule or boundary or law that you set up can defeat it? That only unification with Christ can really defeat it? Have you been around people enslaved? slave to alcohol? slave to drugs? slave to sex? Have you been around people like that? Maybe you yourself. It is hard to see. People can set up boundaries. You can tell, do this, do X, do Y. And many times they just fall into it time and time again. Is a hard thing to watch and see. So, what do we do? How do you break that enslavement? How do you even break it when maybe you're still struggling with it and you identify with Christ? This is the good stuff, right? Here it is. Paul is going to give us an answer right now, he is going to give us a command, an imperative. Can you guys tell me how many times Paul has given an imperative? It's a command, verb, a command, in the book of Romans until chapter 6. How many times has he given a command or an imperative? Anybody? It's a rhetorical question, really. (laughs) Zero times. He hasn't once in all the book of Romans given a command until verse 11. 6-11. 6:11. So if you want to listen up, if you've been falling asleep so far, here I go. 6:11. This is the command. This is what you're supposed to do. This is the imperative that Paul gives. Buckle your seatbelts because he's going to tell you how to deal with it. Okay? Deal with sin. Here it is. This is big. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What? Where's the command? The command is consider. That's the imperative he gives. Think about. I'm going to stand up, okay? That. I'm feeling the energy. I can do it. Okay. <laughs> consider it. Think on it. This is his imperative. Understand your identity with Jesus Christ. That you have been dead to sin and alive in him. Do you know what his command is? His command is think about what Christ has done for you. Not stop doing something. Not make sure you get on the treadmill more. Not stop the sugar intake. No, consider what Christ has done for you. That is the command he gives. Really? How can dealing with sin in my life be fought by understanding what Christ has done for me? How can it? Does that really work? Does it really work when I think in my head, I am dead to sin and I am united with Christ and then it comes to my heart? Does that really change me? You know what the number one... um, program throughout the world to deal with addiction is, is AA. Started in the mid-30s through the Oxford group, which was a Christian society, and uh, it was kind of a holiness movement. And uh, one of the members from that Oxford group um, started um, AA. And if any of you have been to AA meetings before, um, you might know the 12 steps, but if this is the most productive program to deal with addiction, what do they say? What are the steps? And I think what you see here in the steps are very similar to what Paul's command here is in verse 11. What is step one through three? What's step one in AA? We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. I am a slave to sin. There is nothing I can do on my own. Okay, right? Step one, what the Bible said. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Okay, guess what? AA didn't invent these. It says that right here in the Word of God. It says we are enslaved. We are powerless. The only way that we can be freed is by uniting ourselves to God and seeing that he, through Jesus Christ, had the power to free us from enslavement and sin. After the Civil War, uh, something happened with African Americans that were then freed. There was story after story that um, a former slave um, would see their master again, whether it's in the town or um, next to them in the fields or wherever it might be, and they would freeze. And many times they would go back to their old ways of saying, yes, master, anything you say, I will do what you tell me to do. They would go back to their old ways of that enslavement to their masters, even though they were freed because it was the end of the Civil War and the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. Is it not the same way now as Christians? We are legally free. Paul saying, we are no longer enslaved to sin. It is not our identity. We are no longer a part of that. But still, experientially, we still believe that we are enslaved to this experientially we still think it has control over us even though that legally we are no longer enslaved to it in the same way that these slaves they were legally free but experientially when they came around their ma- their former masters they went into that experience of being slaves how does it play out how does that play out in us you can still be a slave experientially, even though that you are legally free. I have to go to the gym. You know what? If I don't go to the gym, I'm not truly alive. I have to be thin. If I'm not thin, if I'm not dieting at all times, I am not truly beautiful. I have to have that drink. If I don't have that drink, I will not have peace. Why don't I pick on myself, okay? I'll pick on myself. The house has to be clean. If it is not clean, if things are not put in its right way, if things are not organized in my life, in my house, I cannot function. And it has to look good because I want other people that come into my house to look like I have my life together. Experientially, a slave. But what does Christ say to that? Again, the command that a call says, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. What would be the thing I would respond to myself when it comes to the clean house, my identity is not found in having a clean house and looking like my life is in control. My identity is in Jesus Christ. He brings me true life. Please hear me, people. I am not bashing working out, I am not bashing having a drink, I am not bashing having a clean house. I am bashing putting those things above your identity to Jesus Christ. You know where you are still living experientially in enslavement. And where you need to speak to that and say, I am free through Jesus Christ. I was sitting on the couch yesterday um, recovering, and uh, my uh, friend called me. hadn't spoken to him a month, and we started talking about what had been going on in this last month. And he started telling me how he was processing all these things. He said, "Dan, I set up three pillars in my life: work, my family. And my position in church. Those were my idols. And those is where I got my identity from. And then you know what God did? He searched me out. He found me. He didn't allow me to lie anymore. And then all those pillars were taken away. All of them were knocked down. That I had nothing to stand on. He said, I was most concerned about, I thought I could still maybe stand on work or my family. But I thought the, the one that I wouldn't be able to stand on in is, is church. And it's probably because I thought church in the wrong way. And he told me, three weeks ago, I went in front of the church. The whole church. And I confessed in front of all of them what I had done. And after my confession, after my tears, people hugged me and loved me and embraced me and said, you are forgiven under Christ. Do you think he was thinking or people in the church were thinking after he confessed, oh, way to go. You know what you did? You just sinned all the more. You just said grace. You just used it. No. Actually, it was the grace that those people gave me. It said, you are forgiven. We love you. We bear with you. We're with you in the midst of that. That motivated, was motivating me to deal with this stuff in me. The lies that I was telling myself. It was, in fact, that embrace from the church that helped me. That grace, that understanding that my identity wasn't found in the pillars of work, in the pillar of family, or the pillar of some position in church. That it was found in my identity with Jesus Christ, who died for me and forgave me from the midst of all my lies and all my struggles that I go through. That is good news. That is good news. My encouragement to you, if you want to deal with onsetting sin in your life, know your identity. You are dead to sin, alive in Christ. Embrace that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, you know what people are dealing with. You know the struggles in their life. And uh, you know the onsetting sin. God, I am thankful that you've given us the Holy Spirit, that we cannot hide, that you expose lies, that there is that struggle within us. Expose them even more. Give us the ability to see them and then cling to you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.